the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Forgive me if my voice sounds a little bit tired. It often does on Monday. Uh, busy weekend, but a really good one. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I hope your weekend was just as good as ours was. It was Communion Sunday here, and I'm sure it was in many of your churches as well. And and you know what? I hope that we just marvel at the fact that we get to have that fellowship with God that we're the invited guests of honor at his table. And it's all because he wants us to be close to him. That's what communion with Jesus is all about. This is a program, as you know, that's dedicated to taking phone calls and answering Bible questions, uh, questions on life, questions on the Bible, questions on uh, what we believe as Christians and why. We'll do the best that we can to answer any of those questions. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's the main number, 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button. It says call now at the top of your screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for the number. The main number is 340-9585. Because it's Monday, we've got all of our Bible studies in swing. Uh, The ladies, um, Jocelyn and (laughs) Jocelyn Makasadia, will be teaching the ladies at 7 o'clock. Um, the uh, men Bible studies, Pastor Ken teaches that. Then we've got our high, two youth studies, high school and junior high school age youth. It's a good time just to have the family come together and spend the evening in the Lord. So that's tonight. Child care, of course, is provided, and your kids will learn about Jesus as well. Okay, let's go to some questions that have been sent in to us while we await any phone calls. Here is a question from one of my favorite people. This is from Hindle. She says, and she's from the Austin area. She says, Pastor Ron, I have a question. Will our glorified bodies have reproductive organs, even though we will no longer be reproducing or having sexual relations? Also, I assume that since Jesus in his glorified body was able to eat with his disciples, walk through walls, and travel great distances in a nanosecond, there will be new physics and chemistry so that when we eat the food and drink, we'll be consumed 100% with no need for excretion or bathrooms. I know that we will be flesh and blown and blood, or flesh and bone without blood. Um, I don't know, Hindle, uh, the answer to the questions because we're not told. All we know for sure uh, is what the New Testament tells us. What we will be is not yet clear to us. Here's what we do know. We will be like he is. Now, uh, I don't know about not having blood. Um, the, the principle of the life being in the blood is so important biblically that I imagine in our glorified bodies we will have blood flowing. Um, uh, I, I just can't imagine that that's not the case. Uh, I don't 
know whether or not our glorified bodies will have reproductive organs. Um, There certainly won't be any marriage in heaven. And since um, sex is the bounty of marriage, um, obviously that will be a part of our life that we won't need anymore. Uh, And new physics and new chemistry for sure. We have bodies that are built for earth, um, but uh, bodies that uh, certainly are not suitable for heaven. Think about this, Hindle. When we go up into an airplane, we can't even take off until the cabin is pressurized. Once the cabin is sufficiently pressurized, then we can go up. And that's just to go up uh, 10,000, 20,000, or 30,000 feet as we fly to our destination. So this body here, the earthly body, is suitable for our time here on earth, but we get a whole new physical body. It'll be physical, it'll be glorified, and that really is all we know. You know, Hindle, I like to think of my body as I'm getting older and things hurt. I've been saying ouch all day today after being at the gym and doing some running and stuff this morning. I like to think that that my new body won't need any more exercise. My new body will be, you know, six two, six three, hundred seventy, hundred seventy five pounds. But that's just in my own mind. It will be infinitely better than all of that. So thank you, dear friend. I appreciate the question. I wish I had answers, but there are just some things that we're not told. And this is one of those things. I know that no eye has seen nor ear has heard the amazing things that God has in store for those of us who love him. Here is a question from Danielle. She says, Pastor Ron, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Danielle, it means two things. It doesn't mean we look like him for sure. Uh, It means two things. It means that we have the capacity to choose. This is a very important thing to understand. God chose us, and being made in his image means that we too have to have the capacity to choose. We, We know that we have free will, and how we exercise our free will is a choice we make, but the capacity to choose is a gift from God. Think about from an earthly perspective. What other worldly dictator, and make no mistake, Jesus is a dictator, a potentate, a benevolent one, the most perfect and loving one we can possibly imagine, but but he's going to rule and reign with an iron fist in the millennial kingdom. What other potentate who could force obedience, who could force worship, would instead say, I let you choose. And the answer to the question, Danielle, is that only one who is interested in a real love relationship. Forced love isn't love at all. So the first thing it means to be made in God's image is that we have <clears throat> excuse me, the capacity to choose. The second thing it means is that from the moment we are born, we're going to live eternally. God is eternal. He always was. He always will be. He always is. But we have a beginning point, that that moment that we are life in our mother's womb. But from that moment, we're all going to live somewhere forever and ever. Now think about this. And Daniel, I don't mean to to be a downer here, but think about this in in the issue of abortion. Um, The moment the seed is, fertilizes the egg, at that moment, we're eternal. Something happens at pregnancy, that child is going to be in the presence of Jesus. Well, for you and for me, we're going to live somewhere forever, and we have to make that choice. If we choose to be separated from God, if in death he honors the choice we make in life, and that's simply uh, the, the, the fact, um, then we're going to spend eternity separated from God. That's why the necessity is for hell. Separation from God, we call that hell. Jesus said there will be eternal torment, grinding and gnashing of teeth, weeping and wailing, and um, uh, it'll go on forever and ever and ever. But, but you see, it'll be because that's what we chose, not because that's what God's perfect will was. If we choose to be with Jesus forever, well, we call that heaven, and then this infinite glory awaits us, rewards and no more pain and no more sorrow. No more physical malady. So those are the two things, Daniel. It, it doesn't mean, again, we look like him. Um, 
It doesn't mean that we're special. It just means that we have those two things that are facts of life. 340-9585. Valerie asks, are only Christians? Oh, before I get to Valerie's question, we got a phone call. I just was told. I didn't see it pop up. Let's go to Alicia on line one from San Antonio. Alicia, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, uh, this is Alicia. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Alicia. That's good. I have two questions. My first question is, uh, I was asked to bring a study on Priscilla Shriver, S-H-I-R-E-R. She's the lady that did that war room. And uh, I went ahead and uh, kind of Googled to see what she believes in before I do this study. And she believes in mysticism. And I would like to know, what is mysticism? And would this be a, um, the book is called The Armor of God. And would this be a good book to bring to the study of women? And my second question is, could I bring it and just bring what is biblical and just throw out what isn't? And is that biblical to do that? Well, the, the mysticism uh, can be really, really dangerous, Alicia. And okay. mysticism is always looking for um, demons or angels. Dem- uh, mysticism is, is, is looking for symbols and experiences, and it can be really, really mm-hmm. dangerous. Now, I'm familiar with the book. Uh, I've never looked it up to see what she believes. Of course, I saw the movie. Um, and uh, I, I think her background is going to be um, pretty wildly charismatic. Uh, I don't know why. Why can I ask? Why, why would you be asked to do a report on 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 her or on the book? Because where we're at, uh, the the lady that brings um, she's bringing that. She's already, she already has it, but she asked me because she said uh, if I wanted to help her. But I told her yes. But then I came home and I said, of course, I have to pray about it first because God comes first and I have to make sure that whatever I'm going to teach is the biblical and it's the truth. Mm -hmm. So I came and then when I saw this and I kind of was reading on her and I didn't like a lot of things that she believes in. So now I'm like, "Mm, that was a red flag there for me right away. So then Mm -hmm. um, um, the, the person believes that the person that's given the study believes that well, if you teach it, you can take away what's not biblical and just teach what is biblical. But is that but is that biblical in the Word of God? Can we do that? Yeah, Alicia, you know, people that know me, my my wife is at home right now, cringing because she knows what what I'm doing. You know, I I hate it when we we Christians get together and we spend mm-hmm. time reading or studying things other than the Bible. And, and the reason right. that's so important is because you, you could be led into all kinds of different directions. And, yes, and most people aren't discerning enough to take away only that which is unbiblical. And they get trapped into some of the false theology. So I, I would, like you, I would just yes, say, sir. you know what? I've been praying about this. And I've got all kinds of red flags. I don't think this is yes. a book that we should spend our time studying. If you want to spend time on prayer, let me suggest a couple of things. Read the Apostles Paul's prayers to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. Mm-hmm. Those are the okay. greatest models for New Testament prayer, uh, apart from, of course, Jesus' model for prayer in the Gospel of Matthew. So um, um, just stay true to your convictions. If the Spirit is sort of giving you a check in your spirit, trust it. That's discernment okay. working for you. And then try and do it. I know you'll be kind, but, but, but try to, to emphasize yes. that if we really want to learn about prayer, Let's learn mm-hmm. from the Apostle Paul's prayers. Let me give you another one. The, the, the prayers of Daniel in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Uh, the, what a great, great prayer. A, a prayer from a humble, holy man of God. And those are the things that we can really learn from in terms of how we pray. Uh, when, when we saw the movie The War Room, Paul and I saw it together. Um, there's, there's so much superstition, and that's kind of what the mysticism is. Uh, it's almost mm-hmm. like, well, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to put these names up, and I'm going to I'm going to claim these people for the kingdom of God. And God honors mm-hmm. the heart, and I have no doubt her heart was in the right place. But um, we focus on prayer in the wrong way when we when we do the, do it that way instead of just talking to Jesus 
and, and letting God examine your heart, making sure you're praying in his will, then your prayers will get answered. And as you know, I'm sure, Alicia, when prayers start getting answered, it turns us, all of us into prayer warriors. So uh, that's Amen. discernment working. I think I think you should pay attention to it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You have helped me tremendously, sir. God bless. My pleasure, Alicia. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I, I, when Alicia said I've helped, I, that's what this program is all about. I just wanna, I want people to be safe, and I want people, Christians, to depend on the Word of God. Now, let me go off on a very quick tangent. If you are a man or woman and you're organizing Bible studies, make sure you're studying the Bible, not books. I get so often when somebody says, oh yeah, our Bible study group is studying and then they'll name a book. No, your Bible study group is supposed to study the Bible. Why would we read something written by man when we have something that we can study in a group and God's power will be there? reading, studying something written by God. I've never been able to understand that, even as a brand new believer. I didn't understand that. Now, I'm not anti-book. It's just that when we take Bible study time, this is also the reason that I'm uh, opposed to study Bibles. Again, there's nothing wrong inherently with study Bibles. It's just that when we have a study Bible, we spend more time reading the explanations written by man than we do the, the, the words that were written by God. And I think we've got to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to reveal some things, to sort of unlock some nuggets in the Scriptures. We're not going to do that if, in fact, we are studying something that was written by man. Let's go to another San Antonio caller, Melissa on line one. Melissa, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, Melissa hung up. Oh, I'm sorry, Melissa. I hope we didn't keep you holding on too long. The lines are open if you want to call back. Here is a question from Valerie, the one I started to get to. She says, are only Christians God's children... Or is everyone God's child? Uh, Valerie, let me make this easy for you. We're all God's creation. Now, we're created by process. We're not created directly by God. Only Adam and Eve were. But we're all God's creation. But in order to be rightly called God's child, you have to be part of the family. And that's why the idea of adoption is so prevalent in the Bible. By the way, when I'm talking about this, can I ask everybody just to keep uh, us in prayer? We have a new ministry that's starting. It's a, a foster care and adoption ministry here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, I would uh, adoption is the most natural thing uh, because we too have been adopted by God. Just uh, I would I would appreciate you keeping that in prayer. So Valerie. In order to be rightly called a child of God, you have to be part of the family. And the way you're part of the family, of course, is to be born again, believing in Jesus Christ. Um, The rest of the world, God wants them to be his children, but for some reason or another, they've chosen not to. So they become God's creation. They're still subject to God, and they will face the consequences of the choices they make, but they are not a child of God until they give their heart to Jesus Christ. The only exception to that would be those who are unable to make um, um, a choice of God. Babies, of course, can't do that on their own. Uh, children to the age of accountability. Some people who are are uh, handicapped or have other problems, they can't. So um, only Christians are truly God's child. Thank you, Valerie. I hope that helps. Dale wants to know, what name should we be baptized in? Dale, uh, I don't know if you've been accosted by a Jesus-only person or whether that's sort of the direction you're leaning. Um, But we should be baptized the way Jesus told us to be baptized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there is a oneness group, a Jesus-only group, that is uh, very almost 
militaristic when it comes. No, it's got to be in Jesus' name. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name, then your your baptism isn't real. So we've got to understand that the Bible makes no such claim. So we should be baptized. God said to be baptized. But the model is given by Jesus himself, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the fullness of God. Uh, And that's what Jesus said. So that's a real easy answer. And yet it's one of those issues that keeps coming up, Dale. uh, Don't get trapped in it. Jesus only is uh, heresy. Uh, I am the biggest Jesus guy in the world. Uh, At least I think I am. And and yet, um, without the Father sending the Son, we wouldn't have Jesus. Jesus, in turn, sent the Holy Spirit, all three fully God, separate and distinct, and so often these Jesus-only types say, well, no, we understand that, but, but Jesus is the Father, and Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit. That's heresy. So be careful with that one, Dale. Here is an anonymous question. Um, how can Christians be pro-life if they favor the death penalty? To me, that is a huge inconsistency. Anonymous, um, I can't imagine... That anybody with who is honestly seeking God's heart on these issues cannot discern the difference between killing an innocent child and putting someone who is himself a murderer or herself a murderer to death as a consequence of their choice. I don't understand the dichotomy here. Um... To me, we're only pro-life if we are in favor of the death penalty. God said if a man takes the life of another man, his life will be taken from him. God is is pro-death penalty. He's the one who established it. And and to me, to be pro-life requires, I mean, absolutely requires that we want justice for victims. There's no one who is against the death penalty who is pro-justice or pro-victim. So it's just, it it amazes me when I get this question from time to time, um, the difference between an innocent child and giving that child the opportunity to be born is completely different than somebody who has willfully taken a life and deserves to die. Now, I don't delight when people die in the death penalty, but the death penalty is a just punishment demanded by God himself. So, Anonymous, you need to really think before you ask questions like this or before people talk to you with these kind of arguments. It's simply a, 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 an illogical argument that makes no sense at all. Christians uh, ought to be pro-life. In fact, I told our church this weekend, I'm not quite sure how much time I have left, so before I go to another question, I'm going to stay on this one for a minute. Um, I told my church, I think it was last Wednesday night study, that we Christians, to to really be a Christian, we have to be pro-four things. We've got to be pro-life, we have to be pro-Israel. We have to be pro-God's Word. And we have to be pro-holiness. Those are the things that identify a Christian. I've been agonizing over the direction of abortion in our country and how hard people's hearts are getting, how they're celebrating these states that are now running to kill unborn children. Up until the time they're being delivered, a woman could be dilating and abortion is still, any time for any reason, abortion is still the woman's right to choose. It's the woman's right to kill. But she shouldn't get away with it. 
The doctors who take the life shouldn't get away with it. Now, we've legalized it. We call good evil and evil good. How can they not see the difference? The life in the womb, you can see it. The baby being born. Every mother knows its life. And so, yes, Anonymous, we are pro-life, or we should be. I've been thinking about uh, Catholics who claim to be born again, or they claim to be God's people. And yet so many of them are what they call pro-choice. It's not my business. It's a woman's right to choose. It just can't be. You can't be for murdering babies and a Christian. We have 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll see you on the other side of the break in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left and got two callers holding so please be patient on the lines let's go to deborah calling on line one from san antonio deborah thanks for calling you're on the air Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, A couple weeks ago, I think it was, you discussed the topic of people who wanting wanting to make sex changes. And I may have come in late or whatever, but did you discuss uh, people who are, uh, is this the word hermaphrodites, where they're born with both sets of sexual organs? I did not, but I will. Okay, that was one concern. And the other okay. concern is um, I have actually uh, known of a woman whose baby looked totally one sex but had the chromosomes of the other sex. Mm-hmm. So those were the uh, two I wanted to ask your input on. Okay, I can do that, Deborah. Thank you very, very much. You know, one of the things we have to be very careful of is using exceptionally rare instances of of malfunction, malformation, and right. and trying trying to build um, um, sort of an emotional argument that supports anybody who says that uh, I want to be female or I want to be male when when their gender is likewise. Obviously, Deborah, there there's all kinds of physical defects in children. We see children born um, with without arms and without legs. Sometimes we see them uh, born with uh, all kinds of maladies. We live in a fallen world, and sin has taken its toll on the world. So the hermaphrodite, um, or or the other situation that you you called our attention to, um, those things are going to happen. But those things are like less than point zero 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 one percent. So I was just so, curious. Uh, yeah, in a case like that, uh, uh, I think the, the the choice would be uh, to go with the DNA um, that that indicates the chromosomes that that, that identify your gender. Uh, the hermaphrodite, I think, decisions have to be made early in life so that people have a chance to to adjust again. It's just not the same thing at all. We need to be very compassionate with people, and um, um, unfortunately. In our sort of faux compassion that we have with people who feel like they're trapped in the wrong bodies, um, we're, we're adding to their problems and we're adding to their pain and their misery uh, by by just giving in. You know, the, the actress uh, Kate Hudson, I know her better as Goldie Hawn's daughter because I'm old. But uh, Kate Hudson is raising her and her husband are raising uh, a, a young born female. Uh, and they're 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 
completely gender neutral because their their line of reasoning is, well, we don't know what gender she's going to identify with. And so until that time, there's no pronouns, there's no toys, there's no colors, there's just... And, and see, that's the kind of insanity that, that no, our world is I, I totally into. agree. I just wondered, I, I didn't know if you had brought those two up or not. I know it's a rarity, but I just didn't know... I, I knew I had come in late on your discussion on it, and I yeah. was curious. That's that's okay. my heart on it, Deborah. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Uh, let's, you're welcome. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Doug on line two from San Antonio. Doug, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, good afternoon, Pastor. Psalm 11 says, The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And Mark 4.22 says, Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. I think an example of this would be Danielle Sittel, S-I-T-T-E-L. Okay, Doug, we're going to cut you off. Would you just go offline? You uh, Please stop calling and trying to um, impose uh, your pet projects on on the audience here. We're here to talk about Jesus. We're here to talk about the Word of God. And um, that you couch your pet project with Psalm 11 uh, doesn't make it any more biblical at all. Doug, we'd appreciate um you're not bothering us anymore if that's what you're going to do. If you have honest questions, great, but we're not interested in debating. 340-9585, here is a question from Beth. She wants to know, what does a lukewarm Christian, or what does being a lukewarm Christian mean? Uh, Beth, it comes from Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. And he says, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're neither. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So a lukewarm Christian, the picture that Jesus is painting there in that letter, is this is a church that is almost ambivalent to the things of God. We've got a little Jesus in them, a lot of the world in them, uh, and they're just lukewarm. They're not passionate. They have no zeal. Um, they don't see much interest in pursuing personal holiness. It's just a, yeah, you know, I've kind of punched my ticket to heaven. I answered an altar call. And there's no real love affair between them and Jesus. So that's what being a lukewarm Christian means. Uh, here's my problem with it, Beth. Um, in that letter to the church at Laodicea, it would appear there were very few real Christians. Now, they thought they were Christians. They were in church, and the church was rich, had a lot. I mean, we would look at it and say, boy, there's a church that's got a lot going on in it. Uh, But Jesus had very, very harsh words for them. So a lukewarm Christian, imagine a lukewarm marriage, where a husband and wife, there's no physical affection, there's no emotional connection, all they do is basically tolerate one another. Well, we would look at that as like, well, what kind of a wedding? What kind of a marriage is that? Well, when it comes to being a Christian, a follower of Christ, I think it's even more condemning. I don't know how anybody can be with Jesus and be lukewarm. I think you can decide. Jesus said either choose to be cold or choose to be hot, but get out of this lukewarmness. And basically what he's saying, Beth, is it makes... Him sick. That's why I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Literally, it's to vomit. Um, so um, it's a very, very stern warning to the church at Laodicea. Um, Jesus used that term purposely because um, the, the 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 area around Laodicea uh, and Colossae, which was was a little to the south of it, um, it was known for. Uh, Two things. It was known for its its healing therapeutic hot springs, uh, but it was also known for the freshest, coldest, best-tasting drinking water in the whole region. And when those two things would meet, you know, the, the hot springs would be met with this cold water that would flow down from the hills. Um, you can imagine it would be just yucky, lukewarm, and, and that's why Jesus used that example. So, Beth, that's what being a lukewarm Christian means. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I was just told by my producer that it is the birthday today of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, it's other people's birthday, too, but he knows that Bonhoeffer uh, is one of my favorites. Uh, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship that literally changed my life. Uh, probably um, the most impactful 
book written by a human um, in my life since, since I got saved. And the reason is because, you know, I didn't know anything about Jesus, and I had all kinds of problems when I got saved. Um, I needed a lot of money because I'd blown a lot of money. And there were churches out there told me God wanted me to be rich, and God wanted me to just believe, and then all these things would happen. Um, talking about the faith and prosperity churches. And I was drawn to that because I wanted an easy way out. And it was one of those sovereign moments. I was at a library in uh, Claremont, California. Happened to be uh, the Claremont School of Theology, which is a very, very liberal, and by that I mean heretical, school of theology. Had great library. They had some good books, and they had lots and lots and lots of bad books, and God used it all to teach me discernment and and, and patience. Um but but one day I, I had a stack of books I was getting ready to study and on the desk was this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer I'd heard a, a pastor uh, in the, the church I was going to or one of the churches I was going to at the time uh, mention Bonhoeffer uh, in his in his message and I saw that and it struck my curiosity and I said well let me read this and I started reading it and I filled up an entire legal pad of notes. And I went right home. I was probably at the library that day for eight or nine hours. I went right home. And Paul and I together spent another five or six hours just sort of going through the notes. I remember telling Paula, Paula, this book, I don't know all the answers, but if this book is right, all the things that we've been hearing in the churches that we've been going to are wrong. And God used that book and sort of sent us uh, in the right direction, and um, I am just so grateful. Uh, so today, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it, his birthday is being celebrated. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, Pastor On, if a Christian knows they are going to heaven, but are really suffering from cancer, is assisted suicide okay to stop the suffering? Uh, anonymous, the answer is no, no, a thousand times no. Only God has the power of life and death. Now, I understand the heart, and I understand um, the apparent empathy in this. But God alone knows the time, the hour, that he's going to call us home. And when people are suffering, as painful as it is, God still has a plan for them. Now, in this case, a Christian, um, you know, he or she can still pray for other people. He or she can still be a witness to perhaps unsaved family members and friends who come and visit. So there's always work to do. And we have to remember that we're not immune from suffering. In fact, Paul says that we get to share, and he counts it as a privilege. He counts this as a gift. He says we get to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, nobody likes it, and I'm the biggest wimp uh, of, of everybody. But... God's grace is sufficient. And so in the middle of suffering, God still has ministry for us. He still has a plan for us. And it is never okay to stop suffering. Life is in the hands of our God. And we who belong to him need to realize that and, and, and um, not listen to the lies of the enemy. One other approach, Anonymous, on this question uh, I've had it asked about unbelievers who are suffering so much. Can we put them out of their misery? Well, if, if we let unbelievers die, we're sentencing them to an eternity in hell. As long as they have breath, there's an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And I would much rather they suffer for a time here on earth and hear about Jesus and hear about Jesus than suffer forever and ever. And these old emotional arguments that we think, well, you know, at least now their their suffering is over, that simply is not true. It's only begun, and it's infinitely worse than any suffering that they were going through here on earth. I think the problem is when we see people suffer, it makes us so uncomfortable, we want to take the easy way out. And I think it's more selfish than selfless in motivation. But whatever the motivation, Anonymous, uh, the answer is it's never okay to take life into our own hands.
340-9585. Let's go to our friend Anthony in Seguin. Anthony, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Anthony. Been praying for you. How you doing? Thank you so much. I'm doing better. I'm recovering. I don't know if I told you I had knee surgery now. Yes, you did. Uh, okay, so I'm recovering from that. Um, I can't drive for two and a half weeks, so I got to listen to the doctor and be. <laughs> my pastor told me, he said, look, I know you're stubborn and you want to drive and you, you want to do things on your own, but he says when it comes to the knee, do exactly what he tells you because that's one of the hardest ones mm-hmm. to recover from. So I said, yep. okay. So. Anthony, think about think about it this way. You you can't drive for two and a half weeks. I haven't been able to drive for 21 years. <laughs> you get so, I, well, that's, I don't know how to look at it. I don't know, that's, that's just crazy. But, but I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. But I have two questions, if I may. And I don't have a, I don't have a radio, so I want to listen to you. Now, as I told okay. you, I've been reading the Bible from... I started in the New Testament. Now I'm in the Old Testament. And I've gone through Exodus... Leviticus, and I just started Numbers. Now, I want to know why is it that in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and then some of Numbers, when it talks about the the different uh, sacrifices and, and the Day of Atonement and the, and the Feast of Thanksgiving, you know, all the different festivals that God had told him to do, why does he go into so much detail as far as how to cut the animal, what part to use, what mm-hmm. part not to use, why to use it, and then why to sprinkle it, sprinkle it on certain parts of this and certain parts of that. And then especially, why does he have to sprinkle it on the right side of the earlobe, of the fingertip, I believe, and the toe? Now, why does he go through that much trouble of describing exactly how much, you know, to cut off and what to cut off and whatnot? Now, and then the, the right earlobe, and what's the significance of all that? That's the first question. Now, the second question is, I just stopped reading in Numbers where... Um, God was talking to Balaam. Now, mm-hmm. I always thought that Balaam was a uh, was a, a sorcerer. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. why I thought that, but apparently he wasn't. He was a, a, a priest, and uh, he was talking to Balak, um, mm-hmm. and Balak told him to. Balak told Balaam to curse the Israelites like three or four times, but Balak. Balaam didn't, you know, Balaam couldn't because he knew God wanted to bless him. So what the question I have is that the very last time that Balak asked Balaam to do that, when God answered him, God told him, use the word sorcery. The Bible says God didn't use his sorcery anymore for the Holy Spirit fell upon I believe it was Balaam, and he started prophesying over what was going to happen to the to Balak and then to the other, those two other or three other kings that were with them. Um, why did he use the word sorcery um, when I always thought that word a sorcery was associated with a negative, uh, like witchcraft and all that? I can do it. Thank you, Anthony. Hang on, and, and uh, yeah. uh, if I if I don't make something clear, stop me. Let me do the first question um, first. Um, you know, uh, God, the, the purpose of the law. Now, here's something that we we have to remember, especially as you're reading through uh, Leviticus. Uh, the purpose of the law is to get man to his knees. Paul says that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus. God goes into minute detail. Because what he wants humans to say is, look, we can't do this. We can't keep the law. We need your help. And Israel never did that. And the religious leaders who were sort of officiating over these kind of things, they began to think of themselves as special or superior because they were in charge of all these things when they themselves were breaking other laws. Jesus, when he was here, he said, you know, you keep these kind of laws with the spice and the mint and, and all those things. You, 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 you separate all these things, but you swallow camels. You're straining at gnats, but you're swallowing camels. And in other words, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So he goes into detail because he wants us to know 
God is perfect. If we want to get to heaven, we have to be perfect. They thought by doing these things, they could be perfect. Now, one other thing about this, God also knows that later Jesus is going to say he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So what God is letting the Old Testament saints know is that there's, if you want to approach me, it has to be on my terms. If you want to approach me, there's only one way to approach me, and that is do exactly what I say. You be obedient, and you can approach me. And in their disobedience, of course, they they were terrified of God. So they began to look at these rituals, Anthony, as though it was um, okay, and God would overlook all the other things because they were doing those things. So that's one of the reasons when Jesus said he fulfilled the law. Think about this. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Never sinning once. That's how good he is and was on our behalf. And then when he said this is the cup of the new covenant, we all should have taken a deep breath and said, oh, thank you, God, because we can't do all those things. Um, Let me give you one other clue about this. If you read uh, Leviticus, read it with the book of Hebrews, and you'll see what some of those rituals, how some of those rituals were fulfilled in Christ. They're companion books in the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Leviticus and Hebrews. So all of that, uh, blood behind the ear and then blood on the sole of the foot, that's just saying from top to bottom. So there were euphemisms. But the rituals mattered because we can only approach God one way. So that's very important. Uh, Even now, people will say, well, I want to get to God on my terms. There's only one way to approach God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Not being good, not trying to follow some other religious leader, some other religion, but simply by being with Jesus. The other question is interesting. Balaam is is a fascinating study. Uh, Balaam was not... Um, as much a priest as he was um, uh, a practicer of false religion. Balaam was not Jewish. Uh, Balaam was not a prophet of God. Um, But you remember God spoke through Balaam. He also spoke through Balaam's donkey. So the minute Balaam thought, well, God's speaking through me, uh, it's not a big deal because he also spoke to me through my donkey. But Balaam was a man who was hired by this rich king Balak to curse Israel. And the reason God spoke to him is every time he tried to curse Israel, he ended up blessing them. He was frustrated. Balak promised him a king's ransom, literally. Um, just just curse Israel, call down curses, because we don't want them to overtake us like they're overtaking everybody else. And so Balaam tries, he might, to get those, uh, to get Israel cursed because he wanted the reward. God stopped him at every turn. Now, when he talked to him about sorcery, divination, um, he was rebuking Balaam because Balaam, he knew, was going behind his back and trying to figure out a way to curse Israel. And by the way, he found out found a way to do that. He introduced unbelieving pagan women into the to the camp of Israel, to the men of Israel, and um, they would seduce the men. And then as the sex act was about to be completed, Anthony, uh, the women would make them swear allegiance to their false gods. And God, of course, knew that. So uh, that's why he has harsh words for Balaam in the book of Revelation. But the idea here is that, that, that he was seeking other gods. And God was basically saying, how's that working out for you? And that word sorcery, Old Testament and New would would always lead to um, um, mentally impaired, drug-induced worship or or seeking familiar spirits. And uh, God's basically saying to him, uh, Balaam, you know it's me who's been talking to you. You try to curse him, and and instead I make you pronounce a blessing. Balaam was really, really accountable. And Balaam had a, a bad end to his life as well. Anthony, I hope that helps. Thanks. Good questions. I appreciate those. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from Anonymous again, different Anonymous. 
Uh, what do you think about a couple living together if they are in love, but doing so without sex until they're actually married? Um, anonymous, I think they're probably not telling the truth about not having sex. They may mean well, that may be their intention, but um, honestly, every time I see a healthy man and a healthy woman living together who claim to be in love, then the assumption I make is that sex is involved. I'm not saying people lie intentionally. The problem is we put ourselves in places of temptation that are greater than we can bear. We're supposed to avoid the appearance of evil. We're supposed to pursue righteousness. And so living together, even if they're doing it financially, they have all kinds of reasons. Um, the answer is is they can't do it. I've actually had people in our church over the years, a couple of times, they moved to different parts of the houses. They simply couldn't afford to get out. Uh, I told them I was going to be asking them how they're doing. Are they dealing with the temptation? You're living as husband and wife. Uh, now you're, you're, there's no sex. You're not seeing each other naked. You're, you're, you're doing things the right way. And I'm gonna, I, I tell them I'm going to ask you when, when I see you. If they start avoiding me, I know what's going on. But the idea here is why are we even considering doing it the wrong way instead of doing it the right way? So when a couple who loves each other, if a man really loves a woman, he won't defile her. He will make her his wife. So obviously anonymous, I'm not in favor of that at all. Hey, thanks for the calls and the questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember our men's, women's, ladies, and youth Bible studies tonight. Jocelyn LaCasadia will be teaching the ladies. CalvarySA.com. You can watch it live stream. I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.